We are back. We are back in uh, our Old Testament study of Second Kings. And so, again, we've been off for about a month. And again, it's just kind of been a trip. Um, but um, if you will, turn to Second Kings chapter 22 is where we will be covering this evening. Back in, in just to kind of go back a little bit because it's been a while. But, but just to kind of go back to chapter 21, um, chapter 21 um, starts off on the heels of, of the reign of Manasseh. Um, and and he, he comes on the heels of, of one of the greatest kings, his father, Hezekiah, who had brought about this revival that after so many years of them just kind of doing their own thing, having the high places, worshiping Baal, doing all these crazy things, um, Hezekiah, he comes in and he just kind of restores order and brings people back to, to where they should be at the temple. He, he restores the temple because his dad had jacked it all up and just torn it apart and, and set up all these idols. And he goes in there and just demolishes everything, right? And so Manasseh, as, as we started the chapter, you know, chapter 21, he was nothing like his father. If anything, I think he went so far against who his father was. And I don't know if he did that on purpose or he was just deep down wicked. But he just wanted to be as opposite, as polar opposite as his father. You, you, you see, his father was, is considered to be one of the greatest kings, a great king in, in the southern kingdom. And Manasseh ends up being the worst of the worst of all the kings in, in, this, in this kingdom, in the southern kingdom. And so Manasseh would end up reigning for 55 years. And I remember as I'm studying that, as I'm going through that, I'm going, Lord, why would you let a wicked king, this wicked, reign for so long? Again, we just see so much intrigue. We see so much conspiracy. We see so much murder going on. It's like, why does he have to stay around for so long, right? To, to cause your people to sin so bad. And yet, it's interesting because as bad as he was, and our text didn't cover this, but the parallel story in, in 2 Chronicles, I think it was 33, if I'm not mistaken, he ends up having this life-changing experience. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, there is your mercy. A, a, a man who was so wicked, who caused your people to sin in such a horrible way, at the end, has this conversion in his life. And again, you're going, wow, maybe that's why you had him stay for so long, Lord. Because you knew that one day you would be drawing him back. Because as wicked as he was and did all the crazy stuff, he knew that there was a God of Israel. He couldn't get away from that. He knew that. His father was a very good king. He had laid a foundation for him and he ran as hard and as fast as, as, as possibly can. And at one point... He has a hard time. He's going through this difficult situation and he has this conversion in his life. And the interesting thing is that his son, Ammon, takes over for him and it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. 
You see, he didn't quite catch that whole conversion thing towards the end there because he was kind of co-reigning with them at that time. And I'm sure he probably thought, Dad, what happened? Why would you all of a sudden become a goody two-shoes, right? And so I'm sure there was that, that, that time where it's like, what is going on? But he continued to do evil. He wanted to do evil. He had the example of somebody who could turn, and he didn't. And he ended up dying. And so they, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But there was a, a, a ray of hope on the horizon coming. And that is where we pick up this evening. Now, we're going to be in chapter 22, but I will ask you in just a bit to turn over to 2 Chronicles 34 because we, we have to cover a little bit on that side. But let's, let's cover these first two verses of chapter 22. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jediah, uh, the daughter of Adiah of Bozketh. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand. Josiah wasn't the, uh, the youngest king to reign. If you've been with us for a while, you know that, that a few kings ago, there was a young man by the name of Joash. He was seven years old when he became king. Can you imagine going in the back, in the backpack here where the kids are at, in one of the classrooms and say, hey, you're going to lead these people. He's going, sweet, man. We're going to have... We're going to have Pop-Tarts every morning, and we're going to have donuts for lunch and ice cream for dinner. That's what we're going to have. That's my decree. That's how I'm going to rule this kingdom of mine. Can you imagine a little eight-year-old having this authority coming into power? Now, in Joash's life, he had a high priest that, that would advise him and help him along, which happened to be his aunt's, uncle, his aunt's husband. And, and again, if you remember that time, his, his grandmother had killed all her grandkids. And, and the dynasty of David was at stake. And yet one of the people, the aunt, had stole away this one-year-old. And six years later, he comes and he's seven years old and the, the kingdom stands. And that's how important this was. That it was down to this little baby, one breath away from breaking the dynasty, and yet God held this man. But here, in this situation, here we have a man, his father, Ammon, was only 24 years old when he was killed. Which means that Ammon was all of 16 years old when he had Josiah, the king. 16-year-old kid having already, he's already in the line to take over the king. And so at 16, he has this young man. And so again, we're almost like going, man, this 24-year-old is dying, is going to die because he conspired against him. And again, once again, the dynasty of David is, is hanging in the balance. 
Because if he dies as a young man, a 24-year-old, who's going to step up? Well, there's an 8-year-old. And he will be the one that is crowned king to take over and, and keep the line and the promise that God had given his father David, the first king. And so it's just amazing here that, that, that this young boy has this young kid and at eight years old, he is now crowned king. We, we don't hear of any advisors here though, like Joash had. But we do get the name of his mom. We, we don't know a lot about her, his mom. But I can tell you this. Here she is married to an evil man. A young man. Evil. She has a kid with him. I don't know how old she is. But he's 16. And he's already evil. And he continues to be evil throughout his reign. He only reigned for two years though. But she has a father-in-law that has been evil for 50-some years, 55 years. And so the nation of Israel, or the, the, the southern kingdom, the nation of, of Judah, has, has for 57 years had two kings, and they're both evil. And this young woman, who is married to this king, has seen nothing but wickedness throughout the kingdom for however long she's been born. And lived and brought into the family. But now she is raising this little baby who will be king one day. And I don't think that she expected that her son would be crowned king at eight years old. But this woman, <laughs> this woman is there as, as his protector. And I could only imagine that this woman who had these evil people in her life, she is instilling in her young son the heritage of the kings of Israel, of Judah. She is telling this young boy about King David, King Solomon, the split that happened, Rehoboam. And then you just keep on going. And, and so there's 20 kings after Jer Jeroboam all the way through to the end. There's only four more left here. And I could only imagine that as she is sharing this, this life, this, this lineage with this young man, an eight-year-old, he's going, I want to be like, like King David. Mom, I want to be King David. I, I, was, I was talking to, to Pastor Daniel about this. He's going, it's just like our, his, his son. He watches something, he says, I want to be him. I want to be him. Every show that he watches, I want to be him. And my granddaughter, I want to be her. You know, they want to be somebody. This little kid had King David pajamas. You know, it's like, Mom, make me, make me a crown that looks like King David. I want to act like King David. I want to know everything about King David. Because I'm sure that she told them about all these kings. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And here, here he is going, my great-grandfather was an amazing king, mom. But I still want to be like King David. That's who I want to follow. That's a, and, and, and understand this. It's been about 400 years since he reigned. So it wasn't like, you know, he, he's a few steps away. It's been 400 years. It's like, it's like one of our kids going, I want to be like George Washington. I want to study everything about George Washington. I want to be George Washington. I want to walk in his ways. You're going, how about your dad? Just be like your dad. 
you know? <laughs> we got better, you know, we have somebody here, you know, your grandpa, your great-grandpa. But this kid wants to go back 400-some years to say, I want to be like that king. You've told me all about him. Never underestimate the life of an eight-year-old man. Can you imagine? I'm sure he did what eight-year-olds do. They're little knuckleheads, right? Little boys especially. But he also had enough sense as an eight-year-old to want to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. I wish most adults wanted to be, do right in the sight of the Lord. You know, it, it's interesting because some people, you know, they would aspire to speak in front of adults and to be in front of adults. It's like, man, you guys already have way too much baggage. Go over and teach the young kids, man. They are so prime. That, that, that's where you want to catch them and teach them and, and, and shape them and pour into them. You guys judge way too much. <laughs> it's like, Pastor, you bombed tonight, man. It's like, kids are going, oh, wow. They're just grasping everything. Oh, they're typical eight-year-olds and stuff. But I'm thinking, his mom must have been an amazing Sunday school teacher, man. That she just poured into him. And at eight years old, this kid is going, I want to be like King David. You've taught me all about him, mom. Because I'm sure dad and granddad probably didn't aspire to be like, like, their, you know, like, like King David. But this kid wanted to be like King David. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Only eight out of the 20 kings that that the southern kingdom would have after the split, only eight of them would be called good. And out of those eight, only three of them would, would, would say, it would be said of them that they did according to or they walked in the ways of David. Asa, which was like the third king down, it says that he, he did and he walked, uh, he did according to, to all, the, all, all the ways of, of David, King David. And then it would be his great-grandfather, uh, Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, who it would also be said of him that he did according to all that King David did. And, and then it, we, we, have, we have Josiah here. Who, who has said that he walked in all the ways of his father David. In other words, they didn't vary off of those things. Those other good kings, they did good, but not like David in some instances. But these three, these three were, were like stellar, man. They were like top notch. They did, and they walked according to David. David wasn't perfect, and neither were these guys. But I'm sure that as he learned about this king and maybe about the other kings going, all those guys were good, but I want to be David. I want to walk in all his ways. What an amazing little eight-year-old, man. It says here in verse 1, no, in verse 2, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Even as a young kid, he did not turn to the side. 
He stayed in that little sweet spot. Not the perfect, because you can't be perfect. But he stayed in that little sweet spot. And guys, this says a lot. Not so much, again, of this eight-year-old, but it tells us a lot here. Because most of us who, who walk with the Lord, there's a choice that we can make each and every day. We, we could go to the right and we could go to the left. We could go back if we want to. We could jump ahead if we want to. But, but there's something to, to be said about this little sweet spot that you don't turn to the right or the left. You just keep on going. And, and this young man decided that that's where he was going to stay and walk. Because I was talking to somebody earlier and, and, and she was sharing with me how, you know, when life gets tough, she just wants to stop. She just wants to quit. And it's almost like, but you know that that's not going to get you anywhere. But to be in that place where no matter what happens in your life, this kid's dad just died. He's a kid that knows that his dad had got killed. And yet, he's going to not go to the right and not go to the left. He's just going to stay right there in that little sweet spot. What an amazing testimony of this kid that he's showing us up in that way, right? That he would say, even though I'm mad because my dad's dead, I am not going to go to the right or to the left. He had enough sense as an eight-year-old. And that's why we should never underestimate our kids, your kids, that what you're going to teach them that they're not going to grasp. Because I know a lot of, a lot of people, again, I did youth ministries for years and I know that once they get the teenage, they're not eight-year-olds no more. But you're almost going like, man, are they even listening to me? And yet, sometimes I think that about adults. <laughs> are they even listening? Not so much to me, but to the Word of God. This young man grasped at least this, that he wanted to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he did not want to go to the right or to the left. He just wanted to keep on going straight. What an amazing testimony that is. He stayed on that straight and narrow. And I think it speaks a lot about consistency. Of just being consistent with the Lord. Because I think most of us, if you're new to the Lord, here's some advice. Just stay really close in that little sweet spot. <laughs> but most of us who do know better, we've tried to veer off. We've, we've attempted to go in one direction or another just because we're frustrated, mad, angry, whatever it is. We just want to sin. And we decide, well, I'm just going to go right for a little while. And it never ends well. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It never ends well because you're so miserable because you know you're not where you're supposed to be. And there's something to be said about just being consistent with the Lord. Staying in His Word daily. Being in fellowship always. Just, just being right where you're supposed to be. Praying. Doing the things that He has required of us. Because it moves you forward and it gets you going. And it moves you ahead. Every time, man. There's, there's, and, and I was just sharing with this, this, this sister. The fact that, again, it's, it's, it's not that I'm in church all the time because I work here. <laughs> I'm in church all the time because I need to be around people like you. Because I know what's out there. 
I, I read my word on the daily, not because I'm that good, because I know what I need from it. I need to be right here daily. Not because I'm that good. I'm not. I just know what it does for me. And it teaches me and it keeps me right there in that little sweet spot. And when I mess up, I know I've gotten off a little bit. And I have to get back on that little track right there. Now, before we go on to verse 3, this is where I want you to jump over to to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. It's the same story, but we get a little fuller picture here. It's a parallel story to chapter 22. But we get a little bit more. And verses 1 and 2 are the same thing as our text. So verse 3 to verse 7. It says this about... Josiah, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the Lord, or to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, uh, uh, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carven images, and the molded images. He broke down the altars of Baal in his presence and the incense, incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priest on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 6. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and uh, Simeon, as far as Nephtali, and all around with axes. Then, when he had broken down the altars and the wood images, wooden images, he had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense, uh, incense altars throughout the land of Israel. He returned to Jerusalem. And so what we have in the parallel story here where it says for, for, for in the eighth year of his reign. So when he became 16 years old, and I, what I love about what, what we have here is that God has given us a timeline of this young man as he begins, as a little boy, as he begins to grow. He gives us some important things that he did as he was growing. And so at 16 years old, he begins to, to walk with the Lord and, and to seek him. And, and to me, I, what, I, what I got from that is the fact that it wasn't his mom's religion anymore. It had become his. He began to grow in such a way. And at age 16, he says, I am going to start doing these things. And he began to walk with Lord and to seek the Lord on his own. In other words, he was old enough now to comprehend and to make his choices. So at 16, this man is now ruling and he is seeking the Lord by himself. Mom, I love you. You laid his foundation, but it's mine now. And he was going for it. And I love that about that. But another interesting thing happens when he becomes 16. He has his first son when he is 16 years old. So now he already has women coming into his life. 
And now he will become king, or he is king, but now he will begin to grow his family. You see, this young man, uh, Josiah, he will die when he is 39 years old. And his son, his son will be, will take over. Jehoiahaz will be 23 years old when he begins to reign. So life got really real for Josiah at age 16. It was a big step in his life. That's when he began to seek the Lord, the God of his father David. And then at tw- in the 12th year, when he became 20 years of age, he set out to cleanse all that his father and his grandfather had jacked up. All the things that they had built up. Because his great-grandfather had tore everything up. And when Manasseh came into power, he went and tore, tore down everything his father done did and began to build up all the idols, all the molded images, all, the, all the, the, the gods of Baal, all those things he brought back in. And at 20 years old, Josiah decides, I'm going to clean up the southern kingdom. And he goes about taking care of all of that. And, and, and it lets us know that he went along to go do these things. So from that age bracket, he is now going out doing these things and cleansing the land. And then in verse 6, it tells us that he went to the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Nephthali. So he not only cleansed his southern kingdom, but he went up into the northern kingdom to cleanse all the filth that was up there, all the perversion that had gone on there. Now understand, the northern kingdom, they're already being, they've been taken captive already years. But there were still all those gods and all those high places and all those molded images that were up there. And so now he's going to go up there and he's going to cleanse the whole land of Israel. And it's interesting because again, he, he took it upon himself that that is our land as well. That is God, what God has given us. Even though the northern kingdom did what they wanted to do, they were now taken captive. And there were some of those people that still remained that had been invited by Hezekiah, I think it was, to come down to do the Passovers and stuff. So there were still people up there. And so he now goes and gathers all that land and cleanses all that land. And when he was done doing all of that, it says that he returned to Jerusalem. After cleansing the whole land of Israel, he heads back to Jerusalem, which had been the capital of the, 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 the nation of, of Judah. But now it would become the nation of Israel, the capital of, of all of Israel, as it was before the division of the kingdoms. Now, it won't be long now before they get taken captive. But for that moment in time, this young man, all, all that he had, all his knowledge, all his understanding is going, I want God to bless the whole country, not just the southern kingdom. He wanted it all. And so he went and did all those things and he brought them back. And so now he's, he's 20 years old. So now we can go back to our text where it says... And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that, he, that the king sent Shiphan, the, the, uh, the, the scribe, and Azariah, Azariah, 
the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered for, from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house to carpenters and builders, to masons, and to buy timber and hewed stone to repair the house of the Lord. <clears throat> However, their need there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. And so now, as we get back to our text, Josiah is now 26 years old. <clears throat> and his focus is now on the temple. <clears throat> Now, I'm sure that as, as we were reading, or as, as I've read through chapter uh, 34 of Second Chronicles, <clears throat> we saw that he had cleansed all that had been defiled. So he had already knocked down a lot of the things, but the temple had not been repaired. And after he had settled all the issues in all of Israel, he decided to now focus on the temple that had been cleared out, but, but it hadn't been built up. And now it's time to, to build it back up, to repair the temple, to bring it back to a place where people can come and they can worship, where they can feel the, the presence of God once again with no distractions because everything is cleansed out, cleaned out, and now everything is, is set in order. And so it could be that the money that was involved had already been set aside throughout some of the years or put somewhere and they found the money that was there. But in reading the other text in the parallel story, it infers that some of the money, if not all of the money, had been brought down from the northern kingdom when they went up there to cleanse the land that the, the, the people from Ephraim and Manasseh had given them some of the money that they had and so that he came down to fix the temple. And so Josiah, he sends this man by the name of Shiphon to go and, and, and take care of the situation, to go speak to the high priest about this, this whole situation. And I found it fascinating as I was reading uh, the commentary that Warren Wiersbe writes on this. And the fact that this Shifan was an amazing dad and grandfather, that he was such a good example because he ends up having four kids, four sons. And one of his sons, um, he, he, he was the one that came and, and he, he spoke to uh, Jehoiakim, uh, which would be Josiah's grandson, because his, his, others, his son wouldn't reign for that long. But Jehoiakim, um, he, he urged that king not to burn uh, Jeremiah's scroll that he had made. 
and 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 Shifan's grandson um, Micaiah, he he would hear Barak uh, or Barak, who who was kind of a sidekick of Jeremiah. He would hear him read his second scroll that Jeremiah wrote in the temple, and then he would go report this to the king's secretary. One of his other sons, he carried Jeremiah's letters to the Jewish exiles up in Babylon. And his son, Ahikam, who, who, who we will see here, he, he was one that would consult the prophetess, as we'll see in just a little bit. Ahikam um, also interceded with King Jer- uh, Jehoiakim not to kill the prophet Jeremiah. And so we see that this man, his sons, and even some of his grandsons, because one of his grandsons would be later named the, the judge, or the, not the judge, but the, the governor of, of the southern kingdom when they get taken captive. And, and only one of his sons, it says in Ezekiel, um, worshipped idols. Three out of four wasn't bad. But it's, it's just interesting that this man that he entrusts to go and, and speak to the high, high priest was a, a man of honor, one who, who ruled his house well. And, and, and so it's, it speaks well of this man. Now, I do find it interesting that Josiah doesn't have the high priest oversee the project of repairing the temple as far as the money is concerned. He says, here, go speak to, to uh, Hilkiah, Hilkiah and, and count the money. Make sure all the money's there. But he is not going to oversee this project. He is to give this money over to the workers. And I love the fact that, that again, there wasn't even going to be an account of how these guys spent the money. Because they were men that were faithful men. And I just thought that was fascinating. First of all, I, th- I thought, what does that say about the high priest? <laughs> that he wasn't, he wasn't good with money, um, or he might pocket some. But it does say a lot about the workers that were entrusted to take care of the building of God. That these men were faithful men. And that they didn't have to keep an account. As I was thinking about that, that man, my secretary would have a fit over that because she does a lot of the accounting. It's like, no, every penny needs to be accounted for. It's like, ah, just throw it away. Just give it to these guys. They're okay with it. It's like, oh, give me receipts. <laughs> but that's not the way it worked. And I love that, that these guys were faithful men. Guys, how many of us, how many of you, how many of us would be entrusted with things like that? That God would say, hey, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with the church. I'm going to trust you at your job. I'm going to trust you with somebody else's belongings. Would we be that faithful, like these men that were in the Word here? That nobody would have to like check up and, and, and even have some, some reservation to trust you in the things of God. I, th- I just thought that was fascinating. Verse 8, it says, <clears throat> Then Hilkiah, the high priest, sent Shiphan, the scribe, said to Shiphan, the, the, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house 
of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shiphan, and he read it. So Shiphan, the scribe, went to the king, bring, um, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand, hand of those who do, to do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shiphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shiphan read it before the king. What an amazing situation that's going on here. That as they're beginning to repair the temple, they find the book of the law, which probably would have been the first five books of the Bible. But more than likely, it was the book of Deuteronomy, which the king, every king, was to supposed to copy that book. But obviously, it had been lost, left behind. Now understand, it's been over 57 years since they've had the book. They had put it away somewhere, they had hid it somewhere, or wherever it was at, but God's word was somewhere in the house of the Lord, and nobody for 57 years at least had gotten the word of God. And so, as I'm thinking about this, I'm going, his mom, Josiah's mom, did not have the Word of God to share with him. She was telling them the stories that had been handed down through generation through generation. And even through that, this young boy had, had a desire for the things of God. Just by the stories, the testimonies that were being shared. Because God's Word hadn't even been discovered yet. And I find it fascinating that even within the Word of God, or even in the, 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 the temple of God, the Word of God was nowhere to be found. And isn't that interesting that even in, in, in our day and age, the Word of God, even in some churches, is kind of almost hidden, <laughs> kind of put away to where they're not teaching the whole counsel of God. But when the word comes forth, when they find the word, it says that Shiphon, he began to read it. And it did something in him. And when, when he takes it to the king, or when he goes to the king, he gives them word about what's going on in the progress of the building. And it was almost like an afterthought. Oh yeah, and Hezekiah, or Hilkiah, he gave me a book, the book of the law. And he begins to read it to the king. Again, if it is the book of Deuteronomy, the first portion of Deuteronomy, if you break it into thirds, it was talking about the things that the children of Israel had already done that they would be punished for, the things that were not good, that, that he's telling them, get this right. And the, the, the middle part was probably the parts that they hadn't done yet or that would be happening in, in, in the nation of Israel. But the last part from about chapter 27 to the end of the book, that is where the blessings and the cursings occur. And if he just read that part to King Hezekiah or to King Josiah, it just, it just hit him hard. Because in verse 11 it says, Now it happened when the king 
heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbar, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the priest, and Asa, oh gosh, I'm going to, I'm dying up here with these names. The servant of the king saying, go inquire of the Lord for me, for the, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the word, the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, Akbar, Shaphan, and Asaisa went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalman, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhaz, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Hearing the word of God did something to this young man, this 26-year-old. It broke him. It, it, it convicted him. And I think it's so powerful because that is what the Word of God does. I, I, I don't know what the Word of God did in your life when you first heard it. Some of you guys may have been raised in, in, in the church. I, I was all of 20 years old, almost 21, the first time I began to read the Word of God. And I didn't read it all. Not like that. <laughs> but what I started reading changed my life. It, 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 it turned me around. If something happened with the Word of God that challenged me and it cut right to the heart and we see that happening in the Word of God here as the Word of God is now revealed to this king, this 26-year-old, and something pegs his heart. Something cuts his heart deep down inside that he tears his clothes. And for a king to tear his clothes is huge. Something has happened in his heart and he begins to say, we need to find out what's going on here. And as he, he said, we need to inquire of the Lord because if this book is true, we have sinned big time and we are so far off the mark and we need to get back into that sweet spot. Again, this man has been walking with the Lord and he says, our fathers have sinned. He's thinking of his dad. He's talking about his grandfather. He's talking about all these other kings who have made Israel to sin. And the word of God does something in the life of this man. And I just find it fascinating, guys, that people could say, oh, I've read the Word and it does nothing for me. It's like, you didn't read the Word. Not one bit. Oh, I feel so good when I read the Word of God. Then you're not reading it correctly. Because it should, it should cut you to the heart right to the heart. It should challenge every fiber of your being because the Word of God will do that. It will 
break you down so it can build you back up. Oh, I'm not saying that we can't get built, built up with the Word of God. That is what the Word does. But it breaks you first and foremost. It shows you who you are in the light of what, what man has done to God. And, 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 and we should have this kind of response. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that the Lord's wrath would be aroused against me for how I've sinned. And what we find in His Word is that His mercy and His grace and His love is there for us. But if not, <laughs> if you continue to go in, and that's what the book of Deuteronomy was all about, the last part of it. Here, here's the curse, here's the, here's the blessing, and here's the cursings. And he knew that his, his family had been walking after the curses of the Lord. And he says, at any time now, God should be punishing us because of what we've done. And so he goes to the high priest, or, or, and, and he says, go and inquire of the Lord. What I find fascinating is that Hilkiah, the high priest, is not the one that's saying, thus says the Lord. He should have been the one that's saying it. And then we have all these other men that are going with them, and where are they going? They're going to the prophetess, <laughs> the wife of a tailor. <laughs> she is hearing from God. And I find it fascinating that you have these men of God and yet God is going to speak through this woman. Another interesting thing, her contemporaries is guys like Zephaniah and, and Jeremiah. Grant that they might have been out of town. I don't know, at a conference somewhere. Or maybe they're, they're still up and coming and they're barely coming up. But there is a woman there who hears God's word. And she is ready to, to proclaim God's word. And so I find it fascinating that, again, we, we've seen guys like, like Shaphan, Shaphan who, who's an incredible man. We see a kid all of a sudden, man, get excited about who Jesus is, who God is, and he's going to follow after him. And there's a woman there. As well, man, we get, we get the whole gamut, man. We, we got children's ministry, we have men's ministry, we have women's ministry. And they're all involved taking care of what God wants to do in the body of Christ. The way it should be working, right? Isn't that amazing? But they go to this lady, Hilda, Hulda, and they go and inquire of her. And in verse 15, it says, then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, speaking of Josiah, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Whoa. <laughs> You're going, dang. 
That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. That's, that's, a, that's a downer, man. If we just finish the study there, man, it's like, great. Great, man. God is going to pour out his wrath. And you're going, is there a but, Pastor Zeke? Yes, there is. But, verse 18, but as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Wow. The Lord heard this man. He saw what, what, what happened when the word of God touched him. That there was a tenderness about him. There was a humility about him. That when he heard the word of God, it changed him from within. And something happened in this man. He was already walking with the Lord. He was already wanting to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. But when he heard what the word of God said, it became so real to him that he tore his clothes and he humbled himself before God. And God says this, the nation of Israel or, or, or the nation of Judah has already crossed that line, bro. I will bring a calamity against it. I will bring judgment against it, but you won't see it and not in your days. Because of the the humility that he shows before the Lord, before, be, be, because he humbled himself before the Lord, God says, I will lift you up. The interesting thing is that he says that you will die in peace. Now, he will die in battle, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't die in peace. He will not see the judgment that has been aroused of the Lord, not not the way it's going to happen as we see these four kings from here on out and the devastation that will happen to the nation, the southern kingdom. He won't see that because he humbled himself. God had mercy on him. Oh, he dies as a young man, but the Lord takes him out because in a few years they will all be taken captive because they, they sinned against the Lord and there was a consequence for that. But something happens when you humble yourself before the Lord. Something happens to where He covers you. And even through the pain that He's going to go through, God will, God's hand will be upon Him and He will die in peace. You see, what, what, what happens in our lives, guys, I mean, we, we should not get any mercy, any grace, any love from the Lord because of who we are and what we've done. But when we humble ourselves before the Lord and, and we, we come under the cross of Christ and His blood covers us, it doesn't mean that we don't go through the pain. 
doesn't mean that we might not die in battle. But I could guarantee you this. You will get, have peace from the Lord because the Lord will be your peace and he will be your rest in the midst of all of it. And you will die in peace as you humble yourself before the Lord. And that's where we find this young man. Oh, we still get to, get to know a little bit more about his life. But it's a short life nonetheless. But he, he would be considered probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest king of Israel other than David. But that's who, who he emulated. That's who he wanted to be like. And he did that. But I find it fascinating that this, this chapter here reveals something to us that's so important that when the word of God is opened up in our lives, it should do something to us. It should totally change us from within. It should challenge us. And not only that, we are to act on it. Do what the Word of God tells you to do. It's not always easy. It's not complicated. We just don't like doing it all the time. But it is doable through His Spirit. Man, these guys didn't have the Spirit of God like you and I have the Spirit of God dwells in us. And so we should be able, because now we have the whole Word of God, to do what the Word tells us to do. And God's mercy and His love and His grace will be upon you. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this Word right here, Lord. Lord, just, just seeing this, this transformation that happens as an eight-year-old gets saved. Lord, it's just mind-boggling to think that a kid like that would, would comprehend even the stories of the kings and desire to be like the greatest of all the kings, Lord. And that, Father, we as believers, as we understand and hear about your son, <laughs> that we would desire to be like him and walk in his ways. And to do all that He has commanded us to do. God, that we would not go to the right or to the left, but just stay in that sweet spot with Him. That we might walk. That we might acknowledge Him. And He will direct our path, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. I pray that You would truly just capture them. That You would truly, Lord, just remind them of the fact that to the right or to the left, we're getting off base, that we would just stay right on Your path, Lord, that You have called us to. Oh, please, Father. I do pray, God, that as believers we would desire that. That we would open Your Word, that we would read Your Word, and that we would hear Your Word, and that we would do Your Word, Father, in our lives. And you will grant us peace. And you will be our joy. And you will be our rest. And you will carry us through those tough times, Lord. And you will see us to, to the very end. Because that's what you promised us, Lord. And so we thank you. And we praise you, Lord. Because you are good. You are so good. You are a good, good Father. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.